Welcome. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount. And he begins his sermon with a series of eight statements which we traditionally call the Beatitudes. They begin with the word blessed in the Bible. But it's not just Jesus who spoke Beatitudes. There are Beatitudes in the book of Psalms, not just eight of them, there's 26 of them for you to discover. Those 26 statements begin on, in our King James Bible with the word blessed or the word happy. And today we're looking at the psalm which contains the last one of these, Psalm 146. My name is Keith Simons. I'm a Bible teacher from England. I present these talks on understanding the King James Bible, using the book of Psalms and looking at each psalm, verse by verse and word by word. So let's begin our study at Psalm 146, which has no ancient title, but begins in verse 1 with the statement, Praise ye the Lord, and ends at the end of verse 10 with the same statement, Praise ye the Lord. The last five psalms are sometimes called the Hallelujahs because those phrases that begin them and end them are in the Hebrew Bible, the word Hallelujah. What does it mean? Praise God, give honour to God, declare his greatness. And you notice that little word ye in the middle, praise ye the Lord. That means that it's calling on more than one person to praise God. The psalmist, the author of our psalm, calls on everyone around him to join in praising and giving honour to God with him. He calls on the whole world in the end to praise and give honour to God. Yet if the whole world is praising God, then what about me? Well, I better praise God too. So the psalmist in verse 1 continues, Praise the Lord, O my soul. By the soul he means the real person, the inner self. He's saying that his praise must come from deep within himself. He must honour God with all that is inside him. It's not enough if his lips praise God, but his heart is not in it. No, he must truly praise God from deep inside him, and he must continue to praise God. Verse 2, while I live, will I praise the Lord. I will sing praises unto my God while I have any being. So for his whole life, he declares, he will give honour to God. And he will sing praises unto his God while he has any being. He could say, I will sing praises unto my God while I am. He's going to sing praises to God, not just now in this life, but in the world beyond when he goes to heaven. Well, he's going to sing praise to God then, better than he ever could in this world. I will sing praises unto my God while I have any being. Not, I will sing praises to God until the end of the song. 
How often do we praise God in church when we're joining together with the people in song and we walk out and the praise of God is far from our lips and far from our hearts? No, the author of this psalm declares he's not going to do that. He's going to keep on praising God throughout his life in earth and when he goes to heaven too. And then he switches subject. He wants to show us why we should praise God so eagerly. And the answer is because we can trust God. But if we can trust God, who can we not trust? Verse 3. Put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. Princes. Today, by that word, we mean a member of a royal family. But in the Bible days, the word being used really meant powerful people, strong people, rulers, important judges. Put not your trust in princes, nor in the son of man. Why should you not trust a prince? Because He's only the son of a man. He's only an ordinary man going through ordinary experiences in life or maybe having an extraordinary life but still with the weakness that everyone else has. A man whose life must soon end. A man whose wealth must soon be lost. You think a prince is a great person, that a prince, a powerful person, can rescue you from your troubles. No, you're imagining it. If you think the wealthiest person on earth or the most powerful government in earth can sort out your problems, you're deceiving yourself because these people are weak people like yourself. Put not your trust in princes nor in the Son of Man in whom there is no help. The Hebrew word is in whom there is no salvation. Salvation means rescue and safety. It is God who rescues. It is God who brings someone to safety. Not an ordinary person, not even an important person like a prince. Jesus, of course, used the phrase the son of man about himself. And maybe, maybe he was thinking somewhat about this first when he used it. Because although Jesus is forever God, Yet he came to earth and he became a man like us so that he could suffer and die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And then, of course, he was raised from the dead and raised to the right hand of God where he sits now waiting for his second coming. But even in heaven now, although he is eternal God, he is still a man. He still understands us in our weakness. Back to the subject of the psalm, though. Don't trust in princes, because a prince is merely the son of a man. A prince has the same human weaknesses as everyone else. He, he can't save other people, not really. He can't save himself from death. Listen to what verse 4 says. His breath goeth forth. His breath. The Hebrew is the word for spirit. That calls to mind a verse from Ecclesiastes, 
This is Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 7, where it describes death like this. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. So in other words, a person's body separates from their spirit at death. Yes, the body returns to the ground, dust to dust and ashes to ashes, we say in the English funeral service. But the spirit returns to God, who is the judge of that person. So when it says in Psalm 146, verse 4, it's describing death. His breath goeth forth, or his spirit goeth forth. In other words, his spirit leaves his body. He returneth to his earth. That's describing the body returning to the ground and being buried. In that very day, his thoughts perish. Or maybe, maybe this powerful person intended to help you against your enemies. Maybe he intended to do all sorts of good and wonderful things. Maybe he made plans to help you. But at the moment of his death, none of those plans will succeed. He cannot do anything. For in that very day, his thoughts perish. There are good rulers, of course, and they do good things. And maybe, maybe they do rescue some people from their troubles. But still their power is limited. Still their power is so much weaker than they would wish because they cannot bring about a permanent change for the better on earth. No, their influence can last only as long as they live. And then their power passes to other people and their wealth passes to other people. That's why, and first five is our beatitude, happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. So that word happy, the King James Bible translates the word blessed, sometimes as blessed as in the first verse of the entire book of Psalms. And sometimes like here, as the word happy, it means truly happy. Not, not emotional happiness, a happiness that goes away, a pleasure that lasts for a moment. No, a permanent a real blessedness, a real happiness. The person who has the right to be happy, who is he? Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help. The same God whom Abraham, Isaac and Jacob knew. He is the God who helps his people. The Lord, uh, we call him the second half of the verse, whose hope is in the Lord his God. That word Lord is the sacred name. It appears in block capitals in our King James Bible. It's a name that the Jewish people do not even pronounce. Its meaning is sometimes conveyed by the phrase, the eternal God, whose hope is in the Lord, his God, whose hope is in the eternal God. This person is not trusting in a prince, in a man who is going to die and lose all his power to help anyone the moment he dies. No, his hope, his expectation for the future, what he looks forward to, 
is the eternal God, the Lord his God. He knows that God does good things. He knows that God will help him. He knows that his hope is not in vain. A certain anchor for the soul. That's how the book of Hebrews describes the promises of God. And there's another reference to the promises of God in verse 6. Because the Lord his God it is which made heaven and earth and the sea and all that therein is, which keepeth truth forever. That word truth, sometimes in English we say that a person is true to his word. We mean that person keeps his promises. Yes, God is the God who keeps his promises. He's given us promises in the Bible and he will carry out every one of those promises. He is the God who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything that's in heaven and earth and the sea is his creation. He's made all these wonderful things. He is so powerful. He is so able. He is the God which keepeth truth forever. He is the God who always keeps his promises. He is the God who rescues people from their troubles and from all that opposes them. Maybe you know that in your own life. Maybe you've experienced how God has rescued you from the power of sin, evil deeds in your life. And God is the same God who can rescue you from death and take you to heaven when your body is dead. The, the God who rescues you from the power of the, of the devil. God is the God who rescues and saves and keeps his people. Oh, let's think about the wonderful things that God has done with, with the author of our psalm. Verse 7. God is the God which executeth judgment for the oppressed. The oppressed are those who are suffering cruelty because of the exploitation of their enemies. Powerful people have power over them and are treating them wrongly. Who will make a judgment on their behalf? Who will act to save them? Who is the God who cares about poor and needy people? Well, the Lord God does. And the Lord God is a judge who sets people free. The Lord God is the judge who saves people from cruelty just as he saved Israel's people when they suffered cruelty in Egypt. God is the God, verse 7, which giveth food to the hungry. Oh, every living creature receives its food from God. And so when we are in need, we call out to him in prayer. As the Lord's Prayer says, give us this day our daily bread. And I ask you, how often has God answered that prayer and sustained you with the food you needed for that day? Maybe more often than you've prayed the Lord's Prayer in your life. Each day he's provided your food. Each day he's provided for you in your needs. And maybe you have needs now. Maybe you're hungry now. Maybe there isn't enough food in your house then look to the God which giveth food to the hungry. Pray to him and ask him for his help, for he is the God who delights to help his people. Verse 7, the end of the verse. The Lord looseth, looseth the prisoners. 
In other words, God sets free people who are in prison. People, literally in the Hebrew, who are bound with chains. They can't move around because they've been arrested or they've been captured by a powerful enemy. And their arms or their legs are, are bound with chains. But God can set them free. God does that in a spiritual way. He sets people free from the power of the devil. He sets people free from the power of the evil deeds, the addictions, the troubles that control them. God is the God who sets people free. God is the God who changes people's lives. Verse 8, the Lord openeth the eyes of the blind. Maybe, maybe we can take this literally. We read in the Gospels how many people who were blind and Jesus went to them in such kindness and healed them. And maybe we can take this as a word picture because maybe once you were blind because of your your wrongdoings. Maybe you couldn't see the way to God. Maybe you couldn't understand the Bible. And yet God opened your eyes to understand it and to see that the way to God is through Jesus and that Jesus wanted to come into your life and to save you from your sins. Verse 8 again, the Lord raiseth them that are bowed down. Again, this could be physically. It could be people who are bent drub double with pain or with illness and the Lord lifts them up. But it's more likely, perhaps, to mean those who are bowed down metaphorically. They're bowed down with trouble. They feel they've got a tremendous weight on their back. That was a story Bunyan famously told in his great English novel, The Pilgrim's Progress, of a man who was bowed down with a great burden of sins on his back until he came to the cross and the burden of his sins rolled away and the Lord raised him up. And whatever your problem, whatever oppression you're suffering from nowadays, whatever troubles seem to weigh you down, God can raise you up, turn to him, put your trust in him and seek his help. The Lord loveth the righteous. The end of verse 8. Yes, God cares about what people do and how they live their lives. And the Lord loves those who are righteous, those who care about what is right and good, those who seek to live their lives in the right and proper way, those who study the Bible so they can understand how to live better, those, those who would be they would prefer to suffer themselves than to do any wrong thing. God loves that kind of person. God cares about them. He, his hand is on them. Even though they might suffer much in life, God is looking after them. Verse 9. The Lord preserveth the strangers. Who are strangers? They're foreigners. God cares about foreigners. Sometimes people read the Bible and they say, well, does God only care about the Jews? Does God only care about Israel's people? They are God's special people after all. And the answer is, well, God loves Israel's people very much. He loves the Jews very much. But God loves the people from every nation. 
They are all people whom he has created. And God looks after the foreigners. In former times, maybe it's so in many countries today, foreigners were not treated well. They were treated with cruelty or they were neglected by other people. God cares about the people whom other people neglect. The Lord preserveth the strangers. He relieveth the fatherless and the widow. The fatherless means a child without a father, an orphan. That child needs help. He hasn't got his father to look after him, to protect him, to teach him a trade. That that child is in great difficulty. But God takes that child for himself. The Lord relieveth them. He looks after them in their poverty. He cares about them. The fatherless and the widow, the woman whose husband has died. That was important in Bible days. Women couldn't earn very much. Men generally did the jobs which, which earned better salaries. I say better, everyone was poor in Bible days apart from a few wealthy people. So children who had no fathers and widows who had no husbands, they could be very, very poor indeed. They needed God's help. They turned to God. They looked to God for his help and God answered their prayer. God relieveth the fatherless and widow. And before we move on to the next part of the verse, this is how God acts. This is how God wants his people to act. God wants his people to care about strangers, foreigners, children who don't have proper, proper support, who don't have parents to look after them. God wants his people to care about widows, to care about those who are bowed down and those who are blind. God wants his people to care about prisoners and the oppressed and the hungry. In fact, God wants his people to provide and to provide generously for those who are in need as he gives them the opportunity to do so. This is how God acts. This is how he wants his people to act. But how does God act towards wicked people? How does he act towards evil people who are causing so much trouble for the poor and the needy of this world. The way of the wicked, he turneth upside down. Those words upside down are not in the Hebrew. They're expressing what the meaning is of, of the word that's translated turneth. The way of the wicked, God turns or he bends or he twists. Where, where is he turning this way to? The wicked people are going along this way. They want to go straight to prosperity, to success, to wealth, to happiness. They don't want to turn aside. But God has acted against their way. It's like a road which should be straight, but it's not. There's roadworks in our area at the moment and the road we want to take to church, it's blocked and there's a diversion on it. And so we're going to have to turn another way. But when I looked up that other way on the map, oh, that's blocked too. And there's another diversion. Well, we'll get to church one way or another. But the way of the wicked 
will not get them to what they want. Yes, they may see prosperity for a time. They may see wealth and power for a time. But God has turned their way away from where they want to go. Because in the end, unless they turn from their evil deeds, their way, the wicked way, can only lead to their destruction, to hell, to a judgment against them and a terrible judgment. God has turned the way of the wicked. And so our conclusion, verse 10, the Lord shall reign forever, even thy God, O Zion, and to all generations. God is king. He is always king. Those princes of verse 3, they're not going to rule forever. Those wicked people in verse 9, if they get any power, it won't last forever. But God's power, God's authority, God's rule will be forever and forever. This is God. This is the God of Zion. Zion properly was the name of one of the hills in Jerusalem, the hill where the temple stood, the house of God. But we're speaking to Zion now. That's why it says, O Zion, thy God, O Zion, the God of Zion, the God of the temple. Yes, but also the God of the people who worship him at the temple. The faithful people of God can know that their God rules forever and ever and to all generations. The generation is the people who live at any one time. But when they're dead, what happens to the God of that generation? Well, if it were just a God of a generation, then that God would die with them, I suppose. But Israel's God, the God of Zion, the true God who made heaven and earth and all that is in it, he reigns unto all generations. He rules forever and ever. And the people of this earth, the people who are yet to come, he is a true God as well. He is the God who in the ages to come and into eternity will be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So no wonder the author of our psalm ends his psalm with the declaration to us all that we must join him. Praise ye the Lord. Or as the Hebrew has it, hallelujah. In a moment, I'm going to read you the whole of Psalm 146. But first, as usual, my email address is 333kjv at gmail.com. Maybe you've got a comment you'd like to make on something you've he heard on one of these talks. Then why not write to me, Keith Simons, and my email address is 333kjv at gmail.com. Now here is the whole of Psalm 146. Praise ye the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, will I praise the Lord. I will sing praises unto my God while I have any being. Put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man in whom there is no help. 
his breath goeth forth, he returneth to his earth. In that very day his thoughts perish. Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God, which made heaven and earth, the sea and all that therein is, which keepeth truth forever, which executeth judgment for the oppressed, which giveth food to the hungry. The Lord looseth the prisoners, the Lord openeth the eyes of the blind, the Lord raiseth them that are bowed down, the Lord loveth the righteous, the Lord preserveth the strangers. He relieveth the fatherless and the widow, for the way of the wicked he turneth upside down. The Lord shall reign forever, even thy God, O Zion, unto all generations. Praise ye the Lord. <laughs> 